Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green. Last week, we looked at the priority, and what is that priority? To love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. So that's the priority. Go ahead. Yeah, there we go. And what we're going to do this week and next week is I'm kind of arbitrarily splitting, looking at heart and soul today and mind and strength next week, and illustrations from Scripture, people whose lives illustrate that point for me and hopefully for you. And so we're going to look at David this morning, at David being a man after God's own heart. And if you've read through the scripture and you've looked at David, uh, then you wonder, how did he get to be called a man after God's own heart? Well, God's the one who gave David that designation. So can you click that picture up, Tim? Um, in first, oh, I'm sorry, the picture's not, yeah. First Samuel 13, just go ahead and blank that out for just a minute, okay? I don't want to read that all in. Thank you. Um, we're, I'm going to read those verses, and then we'll look at, uh, he'll bring up the picture. It's not really of David. It's of a guy. Um, Saul had uh, 2,000 men with him in 1 Samuel 13. After a week, he was down to only 600 guys. He was getting nervous. The Philistines were on the rampage, and he was scared, and and Saul had a specific assignment. He was king. He was the king over Israel, and that was his job. And then in Israel, they also had priests. We don't have priests today because each believer is a believer priest. But they had Jewish priests, and they had prophets, and they had kings. And Jesus was prophet, priest, and king. Uh, but Samuel was the prophet, and so the prophet was supposed to offer a sacrifice, and the king was not supposed to offer the sacrifice, and God had spelled it out, you know? Uh, like, we have a division in our government, although each one tries to cross over, and the judicial branch is making legislation, and, and all kinds of strange things going on in our country, but... They have these three areas, and Saul is not supposed to offer the sacrifice. And Samuel told him to wait for a week, and he waited for almost a week. And then he got impatient, and he thought, people are leaving me. We need the sacrifice. I'm going to do it. So he just took it on himself. And then immediately when he was done, Samuel showed up. And Samuel said, what did you do? And Saul said, well, I had to do it. You never have to do the wrong thing. He made a bad choice. And so, back on the screen, Tim, here's what Samuel said to Saul. You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for him a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be the commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. God had rules and he had a position for Saul and Saul rejected God's plan. Now, 
When we talk about David being a man after God's own heart, it doesn't mean that David has the exact heart of God, but it means David is pursuing the heart of God. Remember last week I gave you two words to talk about, to think about when we're talking about love and loving God. The first was pursuing and, and the second was pleasing. And so David was pursuing God. He was a man after God's own heart. And so Saul was rejected. And from that point on, Saul knew that his son would not become king after him. He knew that his kingdom had a time limitation. And yet for the next 15 years, Saul did everything he could to destroy anybody who would be a hindrance to him being in charge or his son taking over. David, on the other hand, was a man after God's own heart. Now the picture that we picked is a guy praying. David spent a lot of time in prayer. We're going to talk about a few things that David did. David sought to be faithful to Saul. He refused to harm Saul, even though Saul was trying to kill David. And uh, he had several opportunities to end Saul's life, and he wouldn't do it. He lived honorably with King Saul, but eventually he had to flee because Saul kept trying to kill him. In fact, Saul got so crazy, he threw a javelin to try and kill David, and David fled away. And then David and Saul's son Jonathan became really good friends. The whole premise of Saul trying to kill David was so that Saul's son could become king, even though God already told him that wasn't going to happen. And yet when, John, when Saul found out that Jonathan had helped David, he threw a javelin at Jonathan. He tried to kill the son, supposedly. He was trying to kill David to help his son, and now he's trying to kill his son. How does that help his son? When you start going down the wrong path, you make some really bad choices. Now David had some of his own personal struggles, right? You read through the life of David. He's not a poster boy for godly behavior. He is a poster boy for godly inspiration. He gives us some great uh, inspiration from scripture. But he made some really poor choices. He had a lack of personal discipline, poor parenting, uh, poor family discipline. He even had an anger management issue. And I want you to turn to 1 Samuel 25. We're going to look in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel and then several places in the Psalms today. But <coughs> you know, I was feeling so much better Friday. I thought I'd be feeling great by today. And uh, I didn't even overdo it Friday. Just yesterday wasn't as good. Um, at one point, David was going to wipe out a guy's family. Do you remember the name of that guy? What was his name? Nabal. And what did his name mean? Fool. And he acted like one. And he had really offended David and his men. And so David took 400 men. And they were going to go take out all the men in Nabal's family. Just wipe them out. Is that a good thing to do? No, it's not. And Abigail interceded with David. She was Nabal's wife. And she interceded and she begged him not to do that. And David listened to her. And so we're going to read what David said back to her. 1 Samuel 25, 
excuse me, beginning in verse 32. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed is your advice, and blessed are you, because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, surely by morning light no males would have been left to Nabal. So David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your voice and respected your person. David, listen. So here's the first thing. David listened to wise counsel. David listened to wise counsel. Now I'm going to say something and I want you to understand. I'm talking about their culture, not ours. David listened to wise counsel even from a woman. Now, if you're one of those guys who thinks women can't give you good counsel, you're not very smart. I've gotten a lot of great counsel from my wife, from my daughters, from my mom, from uh, women I've known in, in different settings. Even a commander in the Marine Corps was a woman. And I, I have learned a lot. But there are some guys who won't listen. Guys get the weird idea that because God said men are supposed to lead in the home, that means they make every decision and their woman doesn't decide anything. She's the little woman and he's the big cheese or big head or whatever. Some guys do have a big head, don't they? But David listened to wise counsel. In their culture, Abigail knew when she came to David and stopped him and spoke to him, she knew he could have put her to death. Would have been an easy thing physically, but legally he could have got away with it. It wouldn't have hurt him at all. But she spoke, she did the right thing, and he listened. Now Saul refused to listen to anybody. When the prophet Samuel confronted him about his sin, he argued back. He didn't listen to Samuel. He didn't listen to his own wise son, Jonathan. He didn't listen to David, who had been a faithful servant to him. But David listened to God and to the prophets. He listened to the Jewish priests. He listened to advisors. Not always, but most of the time. He listened to his friend, Jonathan. He listened. And most of the time, after he listened, he made a good choice. There's some notable exceptions. But most of the time, after he listened, he made a good choice. Now, one notable exception is with Bathsheba. Uh, David saw Bathsheba. Maybe he shouldn't have seen her. If you'll turn to uh, 2 Samuel uh, chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. In chapter 11, David, what, the time when they go out to battle and David didn't go and he was standing on the palace and she was taking a bath on her rooftop, and that just kind of messes with your head if you live in our culture, especially if you have a roof that goes like this. How do you have a bath? I mean, you know, you see it on those commercials on TV. They have bathtubs sitting out in those fields. But, but in their culture, the rooftop was the place where you did a lot of stuff. Should she have been up there where she could be seen? No. She was. She was seen. David, it was no sin in being attracted, but there was sin in the lingering look and the thought process. And then he asked who she was. And one of the servants told him who she was and who she was married to and that her husband was a faithful servant 
and David went and sinned. In that case, he did not listen to his advisors. But the second thing David did is he confessed his sin and he repented with his whole heart. He confessed his sin and repented with his whole heart and soul. Saul always made excuses. Well, the people were leaving and they were scattering, so I had to make the sacrifice. Later, uh, when they were supposed to destroy all the animals, uh, then Saul said, said uh, Samuel said, why haven't you obeyed God? And Saul said, I did. And then Samuel said, then why do I hear the bleeding of sheep? Bleating of sheep. I shouldn't have heard that. They should have been gone. I told you to sacrifice them. And he didn't. And then Saul blamed it on the people. Saul never took responsibility for his own decisions. How many of you know people like that? Don't point, just, okay? You know people like that, right? There are people that don't. But David did, and look what David does here. This is really important when we think about David. In uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 7, Nathan says to David, you are the man. Pause right there just a moment. He told him a story about a guy who had a bunch of sheep and a guy next door just had one. And the rich guy who had a bunch of sheep had guests over. And so he went to the poor guy's house next door and he took that guy's one sheep that they'd raised with the family and it was like a pet in the family, treated like a child. And, and, and he took that sheep and he offered it to his friends. And David was so mad, he said, that man's gonna die. And then Nathan, who's a bold person, I mean, King Saul put a bunch of priests to death for standing against Saul. Now David's the next king. David has the legal right to be able to do that in their culture. And Nathan stood up to him and he said, you're that man. Now, jump down to verse number nine. Verse number nine. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you have despised me. He's telling him what the Lord is saying. You have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Now, jump down to verse 13. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Now, if David were Saul, what would you have said? Well, it wasn't my fault. She was out there, and it was her fault. And by the way, my servants are the one who brought her to me, and it was their fault. Now, David said, I have sinned. I want you to turn to Psalm 51. Please. Psalm 51. David wrote Psalm 51. <clears throat> In, the, uh, in our English Bibles, there's a little paragraph before verse 1 of Psalm 51. Uh, in the Jewish scriptures, that's included. That is verse 1. But Psalm 51 is a prayer of repentance. And it starts out, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Now, pause right there. You, you understand how we got the scripture, right? 
God spoke. Peter said, holy men of God spake when they were moved by the Holy Spirit. God spoke, they wrote it down, they communicated it, and it went out. So what we were reading in 1st and 2nd Samuel, that's revelation that God has given to people that they wrote down and they communicated and they made it available. What we're reading here in Psalm 51, this is a little different. It's part of what's called wisdom literature, but it's also different in that David is the guy writing these words. This is not some guy writing down, oh yeah, you saw what David did, what David did this, or not, David did that. It, no, this is David saying, I have sinned. David wrote a song for the people of Israel to sing in their worship about his sin. Now, I don't know anybody in this room, nobody in this room, uh, was completely sin-free last year. If you think you were, it's because you don't understand the holiness of God. God is so holy, and we're not. And we can't get there. So all of sin comes short of the glory of God, but we still have issues with sin. In fact, when John was writing about it, he said, if you say you don't have any sin, you deceive yourself, and you call God a liar. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, David, we, we all have sin. So, how would you feel if you walked into church this morning and Jim Ricosi got up here and said, well, this morning we're going to sing the song about the sins of John and then we're going to sing the song about the sins of Lacey. Shall we sing? I don't know about John. John would probably just sit there and say, whatever. Lacey would bolt, right? You bolt. <laughs> Mom, Dad, I'll see you at home. Uh, we don't want to admit our sin. But David repented with his whole heart and soul. We sometimes try and cover it up. Now let's read a couple verses here in Psalm 51. I want you to really see the heart of David as he's uh, writing this. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. We were just singing about the mercies of God. Wash me thoroughly, thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you. You only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Now, had he only sinned against God? I mean, theoretically, you could say, well, he sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, a faithful servant he had put to death. He orchestrated the scenario where uh, Uriah was certain to die. In today's culture, we would call it a hit that he put on Uriah, and it was carried out by uh, one of his commanders who put him in a place where he was certain to get killed. And, and he sinned against the nation. He violated their trust they had in him as their king and leader. But the truth is, you can't sin against other people. You can offend people, but sin is always against God. God is the only one who can judge sin. He's the only one who understands the full implications of sin. And every sin you've ever done is against God. You maybe hurt other people in the process of that sin.
But your sin is a rebellion against God. And when we sin knowingly, we are rebelling against an almighty God who hates sin. So David confessed with his whole heart. Now, uh, look down at verse 7. Purge me with hyssop, I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Verse 9. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities, all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. He, he's saying, God, just cleanse me completely. He understands the holiness of God. He wants God to purge him. Now, it was not a sin for David to be attracted when he saw Bathsheba. God made men's brains to be attracted when they see women. That's the way God made men's, men's brains. But God didn't make men's brains to lust. Men can be attracted, but they don't have to lust. They can turn away. Uh, they can redirect their thoughts. Now, if David had acted like Saul, he would have blamed everybody else. But David responded with brokenness and sorrow for his own sin and his own actions. Now, sometimes people will hurt you and they'll ask your forgiveness. And sometimes people will say they've repented. But I have seen something in life and in scripture that true repentance always leads to brokenness. If we feel genuine sorrow for our sin and for our actions, there's a brokenness because of it. I was dealing with a person several years ago and this person said he had repented and he wanted me to then forgive him, but I didn't see any brokenness. It's like, I've repented, now you have to forgive me. And it wasn't quite that bad, but it was pretty close. That's not how David repented here. David talks about his sin, talks about the mercy of God, the desperate need for that mercy, begs for God's forgiveness, True repentance always leads to brokenness. If you haven't yet cried over a sin, when you've sinned against God and hurt someone else, if it hasn't brought you to tears because of what you did, then you're probably not yet repentant. You need to see your sin through the eyes of a holy, righteous God and repent. Nobody's going to be sin-free. John's squared that away for us. You deceive yourself if you think you're going to be sin-free. But when you sin, we need to repent. Repent. 3,000 years later, we're still talking about Saul's arrogance and his selfishness and his sinfulness, but we're also talking about David loving God and David's genuine, heartbroken repentance for his sin. A third thing that David did is David trusted God with his whole heart and soul. I want you to turn to Psalm 3. David trusted God with his whole heart and soul. If you go on scripture, then we, in the order of scripture, we find David has some enemies that he has faced. He had a lion and a bear, and what was next? Big bad Goliath. Yeah. Great big soldier. 
I like to, I don't remember his name, but we had a speaker here years ago, spoke at a conference we were up participating in in Phoenix, and then he was our guest speaker the next day. And he was talking about the fact that uh, uh, Goliath wasn't really a giant. Goliath was just a big, big man. The giant in the story was actually God. And David was the only one who saw the giant. He saw God in that story. And so Goliath was this really big guy. And he was uh, up nine and a half feet tall. And David, even if he was as tall as King Saul, uh, who was head and shoulders above the next guy, David would have been about my height. And so I can reach up to about eight feet. If I get on my tiptoes, I can do a little better. Uh, but uh, I wouldn't have been able to scratch the chin of Goliath unless he had a head about this long, you know. Uh, but he was a great big guy. And then after he defeated Goliath, his next enemy became the king that he had delivered, King Saul. And then he had others, including his own son, Absalom, who decided he was going to take over the kingdom. How many of you guys had issues with your dad when you were a teenager? Anybody? And, and how many of you have had sons you've had issues with when they were teenagers? If they're still teenagers, don't raise your hand. But yeah, we, we've had issues, right? And so, uh, but Absalom decides he's going to kill his dad and take over the whole kingdom. Now, I had issues with my dad, and I handled them poorly, and we got beyond it. Um, and we ended up having a good friendship for the last 40 years of his life. Uh, but my, I never tried to kill him. I thought about walking away, but I never wanted to kill him. David had a son try to kill him. And so if you look at the top of Psalm 3, it says, A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. So here's David trying to flee. Remember, he's trusting God with his whole heart and soul. And he walks away and he leaves. He's not going to fight off Absalom. He's going to move away. Absalom ends up dying in combat. Uh, even though David told him to spare his life, uh, one of his soldiers went and killed Absalom on purpose to stop the rebellion. Militarily, that was the right thing to do, except that he was violating the law of order by his commander-in-chief. But anyway... Um, David didn't want Absalom to die. He wanted Absalom to repent. I don't think Absalom was capable of that. But David is running in fear for his life from his son. And who does he appeal to? God. Lord, how have they increased who trouble me? Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. 
Now, I didn't read the word sila the several times that it showed up in there. Uh, as far as we know, we think that's a musical pause, like a rest in the musical score. And so I just left it out. But David's trusting the Lord and he's worshiping the Lord. He, he's trusting him and he's relying on him for his deliverance. He's not trying to raise an army and reattack his son. He's trying to not kill his son, but trying for God to bring deliverance where possibly he and his son could be restored. Didn't happen, but that was his hope. He trusted in the Lord. A fourth thing, David worshiped the Lord with his whole heart and soul. Uh, you're in Psalm 3. Turn over to Psalm 8, please. Worship the Lord with his whole heart and soul. <coughs> Psalm 8. O oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Jump down to verse 3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? Jump all the way down to the end. O oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. He's worshiping the Lord. He uses imagery. God the Father is a spirit. He doesn't have flesh and bones. Jesus, God the Son, was a spirit until he was incarnate in um, Mary in Nazareth and then was born in Bethlehem. The Holy Spirit doesn't have a body. God was a spiritual being, but David imagines God with human capacity and God just flinging the stars out there. Elsewhere he said he, he just spoke the stars into existence or spewed them out of his mouth. And, and so he describes God just flinging stars out there, the awesomeness of who God is. I mean, when I was a kid, I thought finger painting was really cool, especially when I did it on my sister. <laughs> Got in a little trouble for that one. But, but finger, you could just do it. But God could finger paint the stars. We can't even tell the distance from that star to that star. But God can just fling them out there and push them around. And every now and then I see a falling star and I try and get this image. I wonder if God's going, there it goes. God is awesome. And David saw that and he worshiped the Lord and he appreciated the Lord. And that's why David could face this massive soldier when David was probably just a tall, skinny teenage boy. He could face this massive soldier on the field and say, God's going to deliver you in my hand because God, compared to Goliath, was no contest. And so David worshiped God. You know, we need to spend time doing that. Um, we, we called this time together our morning service. It used to always be called the morning worship service. But actually what we're supposed to do all the time is worship God. You're supposed to worship God when you're at the doctor. You're supposed to worship God when you are the doctor. You're supposed to worship God when you're driving to the grocery store. Every part of your life you're supposed to be thinking about who God is and what he does and how he blesses your life. And every time that you sin and repent, you should be worshiping and praising God for his mercy, like David did in Psalm 51. 
We should praise God for his strength that we have in difficulty like David did in Psalm 3. And here in Psalm 8, just be overwhelmed at the awesomeness of God. Jim and Clay's have a cabin up in Cholo, and they like to go up there. And once you get up into the mountains, you get at a higher elevation. The air's a little bit thinner. And especially when you get out of town. In Cholo, there's a lot of lights. Uh, where my dad lived in Cholo before, now he lives in heaven. But when he lived up there, he was only like half a mile from Walmart and the hospital. They were across the street from each other. And he was within half a mile of that. So it was never dark at his house. But you get out up in the mountains where there's no lights and you look at the stars and you know, it's really amazing how much is out there that we can't see. But God can. And he knows the stars by name. And there's flowers growing in ravines on steep mountainsides that people have never seen that God put there for his glory, for his pleasure. And David worshiped the God who is this great, big, huge, awesome God. I turn back to Psalm 5, and uh, David talks about worshiping God again. Psalm 5 and verse 7. But as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy, in fear of you, I will worship toward your holy temple. Now, the temple hadn't been built yet when David was talking about that. They started calling the tabernacle the temple, David did, and referring to it as the temple. But you notice here, it's in the lowercase, but after the temple was built, usually it's temple with a capital T uh, because they built the temple and it was a, a specific building. But he wants to worship God appreciating his mercy and appreciating who God is, jump down to verse 11. But let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those who love your name be joyful in you. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor, you will surround him as with a shield. We should shout for joy. We should rejoice. We should appreciate who God is and, and, and worship who he is and what he does. Appreciate what he does. Worship who he is. But as we said from that picture, the beginning, the picture we had of David, David also prayed with his whole heart and soul. He prayed with his whole heart and soul. Look in the beginning of Psalm 5. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Give heed to the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For to you I will pray. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you, and I will look up. He talks about praying and then looking to God for God's blessing and God's forgiveness and God's benefits in his life. And, and he's praying and he's communicating with God. And, you know, prayer should be a pattern in our lives. Now, David had specific times of prayer. We know Daniel had time. Daniel prayed in the evening, in the morning, and at noon. Daniel had specific times of prayer. I listened to a podcast by guys 
at specific times of day, he has a specific prayer that he will pray. Now, I don't pray any memorized prayers. I know some people do. It's not wrong to memorize a prayer. I don't pray that way. I pray just from my heart to God's heart. But, you know, there have been times when I have prayed the Lord's Prayer to God. And I've talked it, as long as it's coming from your heart to his heart, it's okay if you've memorized it. That's fine. Make sure it's from your heart, not just in your head. God wants to communicate you heart with you heart and soul, not just head. He doesn't want you just to think about him. He wants you to love him and long for him and yearn for him and appreciate him. And David prayed with his whole heart and soul. On the screen, I have another one of David's prayers from Psalm 139, not the whole thing, but verse 1. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. So he's already saying you've searched me and you know me completely. And then he ends the song by saying, search me, oh God, and know my heart. Well, God has already known him. And David then talks about the awesomeness of who God is and how he knows us when we're standing up and when we're sitting down and when we're going someplace. And God can see in the dark as well as the light. There's no difference to God at all. I have pretty phenomenal night vision, but God can see in the dark and the light. There's no difference at all for him. And that's not true of any human being. And then search me and know me, try me and know my thoughts or my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So was David perfect? No. But David was a man after God's own heart. He was pursuing God. He was leaning in toward God. But see, that's not the point of this message. We didn't gather here today so we could talk about this cool guy who lived 3,000 years ago. We gather here today so we can be drawn closer to God and be challenged in our own lives. The main point of looking at David, what we need to remember and act on is this. If David, a man with serious problems and a man who struggled with sin, could pursue God wholeheartedly, then so can we. So here's the big question you should ask yourself. God described David as a man after his own heart. How would God describe you? How would God describe me? Ask yourself that question. How would God describe me? Now, when God said that, David was a teenager. But David, from that time on, for the rest of his life, had a heart for God. Did he always do things right? No. He's human. We struggle. I've said before, that, you know, I've been a pastor for over 30 years. I can tell when people still have issues with sin. I can just look at people and I can tell. It's really simple. If they're breathing, they're going to struggle with sin. Sometimes we can get over some, we can get beyond some, but we're going to have some issues sometimes. Don't expect to be perfect, but are you listening to wise counsel, especially from God's Word? 
If you don't have a habit of getting into God's Word as a normal part of your days and weeks, then you need to develop that habit. God speaks through His Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. When you get into God's Word, He encourages you, He strengthens you, He builds you up, you will learn and you will grow. Are you confessing and truly repenting when you have sinned and failed God? Not just blowing it off. I've said this before, but when my son Nathan, who's a pharmacist up in Flagstaff, when he was two years old, I don't remember what he did, but he did something that really bugged me, and so I bellered. Any of you ever have your dad beller? I, I bellered. I big, loud, scary noise, and and he, I terrified the kid. He was just a little boy. And Kathy, my wife, said to me, you know, I don't think you handled that as well as you could have. And I said, well, he did this, and he, like, he pushed me over the brink. And then she said something kind of like, oh, my big, brave Marine husband <laughs> got whooped by a two-year-old. Now, she probably was more polite than that, but it was, <laughs> she's taking her head, yeah. But that's how I took it. And you know what? No one can make you do anything. Not other people, not even Satan. You have agency. You have responsibility. When I lost my temper at my son and bellowed like a crazy moose, I was sinning and hurting my relationship with my son. We got beyond it. We have a great relationship now. He even laughs about it now. But we have the capacity to do better. Are you trusting God and worshiping Him and praying to Him? Are you chasing after His heart? Don't blame other people. Accept your responsibility for your own sin. Don't expect other people to do the worshiping for you. I did ask Megan to sing a song, and she's going to sing in a little bit, a song on Psalm 23. But you're not here for the Megan Sundust Worship Hour. You're here for all of us to worship God together. Now she's probably not going to sing after I sing that. <laughs> so if you're not chasing after God, then here's a second question you should ask yourself. Why not? Why not? Why can't God describe me? as a man or woman after his heart. Now, if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, that's the most important thing you can do in your entire life. Ask Him to forgive your sins, and He will. He said, everyone who comes to Him, He will receive. He loves, He cares, and He died to pay the penalty for your sins and mine. And if you receive him as your Savior, then someday when this life on earth is over for you, you're going to live with him in heaven. 
Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.